Covered in Glory is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. Download it, must be 21 years or older. Welcome back to Covering Glory. A little, little extra uh, in the opening since we missed last week. Brett, how did you spend your time off? Uh, the same thing, except instead of talking to you, I just talked to my spreadsheets. I drew your picture on the <laughs> spreadsheets and I just talked to that on Thursday night instead. So, oh yeah. my God. This it's is basically, basically the same week, except you weren't sentient. Yeah, it's it's a real matrix stuff when you're just like drawing me in ones and zeros up on the line. And (laughs) yeah, it's all binary. It's all binary. (laughs) If if it reaches a point where I'm the woman in the red dress from the matrix, and that's what you're fantasizing about, we really got to get you. Oh, yeah, we're I'm I'm in some bad. I mean, we got to get an extra points mental health care plan up to speed. Then if I'm doing that, yeah, I'm gonna have to change my address. Uh, So (laughs) the whole network was dark last week, and I air check every single thing that uh, we put out. Uh, which, by the way, like there's not enough hazard pay in the world to listen to three years of Harry and Damashek's takes. So I I don't know if we're going to get into like, you know, the extra points mental health, but I need it more than anybody else after checking those guys for that long. But it was crazy to have so much like free time to suddenly not have to listen to everything. Did you know they still make music, Brett? You still like when you listen to something from an audio standpoint, it doesn't have to be a podcast. I that's. Really? I thought Spotify was just a podcast app. It's weird. Well, I'm so sick about this stuff, though, that I listened to music for the first couple of days. And I was like, man, okay, well, I've got to do something else. So then I listened to podcasts about music on my week off from podcasts. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The mental health vibes are not great in the Cover to Glory podcast network. (laughs) Oh, I got to say, I say uh, 60 songs that explain the 90s on uh, from The Ringer from Rob Harvella is outstanding if you haven't had a chance to dive into it yet. Like, I am obviously a child of the 90s, given I just turned 43. So listening to another child of the 90s, like just wax poetic about Tom Petty and the Beastie Boys and Dr. Dre and everybody else. Uh, it was really chicken soup for the soul and made me really sad when I heard Harry's voice again on Monday. <laughs> that's a lot different than some of the the old 90s bangers that you grew up with that's for sure um i'm telling you go back and listen if you haven't heard that pod yet and you have any time whatsoever what, go listen what, to what was like your go-to song in the 90s i'm putting this on the spot we have to know this like, or go to you don't even have to do song necessarily but just like who is like the bands that you're well, really the, the 90s is the 90s is a long time right so uh my first cd i ever got uh, actually i got two on the same day i went to sam goody in the manassas mall when i was 12 years old begging my parents to get CDs. And the first two I ever got, I'm pretty proud of, was Nirvana, Nevermind, and and Use Your Illusion, Volume 1. Okay. Uh, So those were my first two. Followed up shortly for my birthday right thereafter um, with the Led Zeppelin box set. So I was not effing around from the very beginning. Although the 80s is a different story. That's when I was on like an MC Scat Cat kick. Like it had been Paul Abdul rapping and New Kids on the Block were my jam, but as soon as I hit middle school, I got some decent taste pretty quick. And then from there, I was I was you know a child of the '90s in Virginia, so you better believe Dave Matthews Band is core to my. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man, I I want to make you do a Dave Matthews impersonation right now, but I'm not going to. No. Mostly, mostly I'm thinking that we have to go backwards and probably explain to Mikey Meatballs like what a CD is, and that's how you. <laughs> like, you had to put a disc into a thing and then it would spin the disc and then you'd listen to it my meatballs you know that's how we used to listen to music yeah then if you wanted to hear a different band you actually had to change the physical disc yeah you had to pull it out <laughs> yeah put another one in if it's scratched like it wouldn't play it wasn't it depending on wi-fi it's a whole thing uh, but no i mean you want to talk about a formative moment when your older brother hands you a tape and said this guy played my fraternity last week you should listen to him and it's dave matthews kind of changes your musical trajectory when you're you know 13 <laughs> 14 years old. Um, oh then, man, crash into me, Toby. Just crash into me. Well, it was, I mixed it up with a lot of Wu Tang and uh, a lot of West Coast rap and, and Biggie, et cetera. So I'm all over the map. Uh, I can listen to Paul Simon and Van Morrison and switch immediately to 36 Chambers and then pull in Vampire Weekend. It, it, it's all over the place. I just don't mess with it. I love countries. it. I it's an eclectic about. movie, it's an eclectic music taste. I respect yeah. it. Uh, all right. Well, I don't think people really came here for a music takes, but that is how I spent my time off. So fair play to me. Uh, I think it's time to dive right back into this week's matchups, Brett. So instead of doing some, you know, uh, big topic at the top, we are going to save time for a bonus game at the very end of this show. You ready? Ooh, to go? The intrigue. The intrigue. You ready to go? Yeah, I'm good. Let's do it. All right. Well, we are going to start with the clear best matchup of the weekend, and that is going to be Liverpool sixth at 39 points versus Manchester United third at 49 points. This game is Sunday at 1130 a.m. Liverpool is plus 145. Manchester United is plus 165. The draw is plus 260. Our friends at Caesars have Liverpool minus half a goal at plus 140 and Manchester United at minus 180. So this is one of the most historic rivalries in soccer. They absolutely despise each other, despite, you know, them not being geographic neighbors. The the bitterness goes back decades and decades and decades. Um, I'm going to let you kick us off this week. I, I obviously have some thoughts after the Carabao Cup final, and I just finished watching Liverpool's match today. But I'd love to hear your take on how you think this game is going to unfold. Uh, well, I mean, I think... <laughs> Yota Jota uh, coming back for Liverpool was such a huge boost for them today. He set up Van Dyke's goal. Um, it's just it's such an upgrade. Like like Cody Gakpo has actually played fairly well, um, a lot better than I kind of expected in the transition. Um, there's still questions about the Liverpool midfield. Obviously, like the Harvey Elliott uh, start today was rotating Hendo out, and they still are heavily reliant on like a 32 year old Hendo to like play well for an entire 90 minutes, uh, which is asking a lot. Um, but I, I think if they get the attack in order, if they have some depth, they have some rotation. Jota does so much, not only just like in terms of putting the ball in the back of the net, but he presses, he tackles, he tracks back. It'll help cover some of the holes in the midfield. It'll help make them probably look as expo- less exposed as they have been uh, defensively. And that's just going to be a huge thing for them because they need a player to do those things. Because Darwin is not a guy that helps control the state of possession. He is an agent of chaos, as we've talked about. Um, great at generating shots, getting a little bit better at pressing. It kind of seems as I watch. But, like, they need a guy like Jota to balance out Darwin and Mo. Um, and so I think – I think oh, – I hate – I don't want to do this. I know we have to make predictions. But I think Liverpool might be creeping back into the conversation of one of the top teams in the league again. 
after this weird run, um, I mean, they absolutely destroyed Wolves from like the 20th minute on today, uh, which is what they was what, what's good team do. Wolves definitely, as we'll talk about maybe when we talk about that match, Wolves are definitely not great, but it is a very promising sign that they absolutely stomped on them today, um, which is what you need to see from Liverpool. And United, I feel like I live in a different reality than almost everybody else at United, man. When they beat Barcelona in the Europa League first knockout round, it was like they won the Champions League and the Premier League all together on Twitter. I didn't know what was happening. Um, I think there's a little bit of a United high right now. Uh, they're extremely reliant on a 31 year old defensive midfielder tying things together, uh, which seems, seems like something that should be a red blinking warning sign in the corner. Um, Rashford backs, Anthony has been a little bit better after kind of coming on lately in these last couple of matches, but like, I'm not totally sold. Um, so I think my guesses are going to be a lot of Liverpool things. Actually, they are. I know I'm looking at my notes. I know what my guesses are. Uh, It's also Liverpool to win outright. And then my board, Darwin, is still going to be my profile bet, Toby. That's never going to change. Yeah. Well, uh, I think Darwin's, what, plus 170 as an anytime goal scorer? So that's what you're giving out. Um, I want to think Liverpool's back because I'd love to think that, you know, Liverpool, um, Arsenal, City and United are all firing on all cylinders at one time and will lead us to a lot of heavyweight clashes uh, coming into you know the final day of the season. But I don't I'm, I'm not there. I'm not there. Uh, Van Dyke definitely looked better today, but they just gave up five to Real Madrid in a Champions League final game. They absolutely wanted to have. And they got rolled in that match. I five two uh, felt like a fair reflection of the difference in quality between the two teams. So I think even though they can beat a terrible Wolves team today, and they took care of business last time out, I'm I'm not saying I I can't say they're all the way back yet. And I don't I'm not saying that they won the Premier League and the Champions League combined whatsoever for beating Barca. But Barca was going after that game. Manchester United stood up to them. Newcastle wanted to win the Carabao Cup. Newcastle United brought back Guimarães and really went after them uh, the best they could, even though they had a third string goalkeeper in there. United stood strong in that game. I don't think that United is the best team in the league. Uh, but I don't think they're necessarily overhyped at this moment. If you want to talk about a an uh, aged midfielder holding everything together, that would be great for Liverpool uh, to be able to say the same thing, right? Because Henderson's 32, Fabinho's not looking as good as he used to. Uh, Thiago, we already said, is, is has lost a step. So to think that Manchester United might fold because a 31-year-old's holding them together, but Liverpool could keep it together seems a little bit uh, out of sorts in my head. So I'm actually going to take Manchester United, the plus 165 in this game. And just like your portfolio bet is Nunez at plus 170, my portfolio bet has paid outrageously well. There's no way I'm backing off Rashford to score right now since he's scored <laughs> nine of the last 10 Premier League games. He's scored against Mark in Europa, scored in the Carabao Cup final. If he is on the pitch right now, he is scoring. And he's at plus 130. And it's nuts to me that a guy like Alvarez on Manchester City is at negative numbers, while Rashford on this run of form is still in, in the, the, plus, uh, the plus category. I think he should be treated like Holland right now and be like minus 180. And until they price him that way, I'm going to keep banging him each and every week. 
Yeah. I mean, look, that's not a bad bet. And it's also a fair point about the midfield. Um, I guess the way that I want to contextualize my point about United is I don't think this is like the reemergence of Manchester United as it, I think it's been played out. And maybe I'm just having a strong man argument with people that don't exist on Twitter. Um, but I, I do think that the context of United's success this year has been kind of circumstantial. The league as a whole has been really weird as we talk about weekly on this show. Uh, it has been very topsy-turvy, very up and down. Uh, teams have, have clearly looked like they have just played way too many matches between the World Cup and then the compressed seasons. Um, and I think United just having played less uh, and just kind of being a solid team just by context looks a lot better. Um, yeah. But I mean, I think if you went toe for toe in overall talent, like it's no question that Liverpool has the edge in that department. Like nobody creates like Trent Alexander does for Liverpool on United. Right. And even an aging Thiago is still probably as ineffective as a Casemiro, you know, you can look at Rashford and you have Mo Salah and there's still that those two are right next to each other. That's true all year. That's true all year. Manchester United's at 49 points and Liverpool's at 39 points. And so, well, and that's like, the other part that I was going to get to though, is the luck in the kind of the one goal matches that Manchester United has eked out a lot of extra points on results that probably don't warrant those points on the, on the uh, culmination of chances. So I do get it. I do understand what you're saying. Liverpool has obviously had very bad stretches. You brought up Real Madrid. The second half against Real Madrid, that was brutal. <laughs> they looked awful. They looked out of gas. They got overrun. They gave up against a bunch of goals. I think it was a combination of whenever Militao scores against you, you're probably feeling a little deflated anyways. <laughs> um, and then that combined with the fact that like they really did boss the first half um, they, they obviously, the, the goals, the Madrid goals were crazy, weird. Vinicius scored like a little curler to the corner that had to go through somebody Gomez's legs. I think the other one was a rebound off Allison that like looped up and over and in. Um, so I think it was more like a combination of a little bit of deflation after dominating a half and going down immediately in the first half, they capitulated kind of there. And then their midfield definitely is an issue. Hendo runs out of gas. That's a problem. They have three competent midfielders with, uh, and I'm going to, I know I'm going to butcher this with Besetic. I've tried so hard. I've pronounced that name like 30 times. And I know I still got it wrong, but with the young Spanish kid coming in, he's kind of stabilized it a little bit, um, but they're still about one player short. And that player is Thiago being back and healthy, which we don't know if that's going to be the case with him anymore. So I get it. I get your points. I understand it, but I still think Liverpool is better. I think they might be on their way back with the attacking depth. Jota covers up a lot of weaknesses with the things they struggle with. So I'm sticking with my, my guns on this one. All right. Well, let's see how far you want to stick to them. Liverpool to finish top four right now is plus 175. Compare that to Tottenham at plus 125. Newcastle plus 150. City and Arsenal are definitely done and dusted. Manchester United is minus 1,000. So for that, that top four spot, Mr. Liverpool is back, and I'm willing to put my backwards hat on the line here. Would you rather own the Liverpool ticket than the Newcastle or the Tottenham ticket? I don't want the Spurs ticket. Uh, Newcastle, just by virtue of the fact that they've banked more points already, seems like the best one. Uh, yeah, I mean, because they're at 41 and Liverpool's at... 39, 36 after 39, 39 after today, 39 points, buddy. Come on. Thiago Henderson. 
Yeah, you know what, dude? I'm doing it. Yeah, I'm all in. I don't want to yeah, get Spurs out of there. I have thoughts on them. Get Spurs out of there. The, Newcastle is a game in hand, so technically it could be five points. I think, and we're going to talk about Newcastle. Well, yeah, I'm saying, all right, Liverpool, give me the ticket. Give me the ticket, Toby. Give me the oh ticket. You're God. trying to give me the ticket. You just got goaded into it. Now you just put all your eggs back into that. Yeah, I'm like, Marty McFly. Over over I'm like Marty McFly when you call me yellow or chicken or whatever. <laughs> Excellent reference. All right. Well, uh, I, I guess it's unfair to put you on the spot and, and not join you. I'm taking the Newcastle ticket over the Liverpool ticket. Um, for Big the rest Sean Logstaff fan over there. Which, which is, which is kind of strange because, you know, Newcastle is fading a little bit, which we're about to talk to when we get to the other premier matchup of this weekend. Um, all right. So there you go. You guys have it. Brett in his spreadsheet says Liverpool this week. I'm taking Brett, Manchester basically United. you have that Brett can be goaded by Toby into saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, United, uh, I mean, going forward, like if this game was played six weeks from now, uh, I might be more into Liverpool, for, regardless of how the next six weeks play out. Just because Liverpool is about to get even more, I'm sorry, Manchester United is about to get even more fixture congestion. They won in the FA Cup today, so they advanced. As you, we've already mentioned, they beat Barcelona, so they have to keep playing in Europe. And they're not that deep of a strong uh, squad, right? Like it's a lot mm-hmm. of Garnaccio to rely on to uh, get out of yeah. the rest of the season. So after they run their legs out in those competitions, then I, I'd feel a little bit stronger about them. But on current form, which is what we're betting on for this weekend. Give me United over Liverpool. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the interesting thing is I wanted to pull this up because I had I had things that I could stick to my guns with on this, but I just kind of looked up. I was curious when we were having this conversation. So 538, which is very responsive uh, club power rankings. Um, they're, yep. it's, it's very good at recent form stuff. Still has Liverpool eighth, two spots ahead of 10th place Manchester United. Um, so, I mean, even, even those rankings are telling us that Manchester United hasn't quite closed that gap yet. Um, but it's obviously getting close with Liverpool kind of falling off a little bit, but I guess we'll see. That's why they play the games. Now that's I why like we Chris play Berman. the game. I did and, not want to do that. We're just, we're going full nineties. and just Chris <laughs> Berman, NFL prime. <laughs> as long as we don't start showing jacked up clips, that'll get us canceled. Yeah, we got them canceled sure. back then. Exactly. Uh, all right, let's move to the next matchup. We got Arsenal first at 60 points versus Burnmouth, 19th at 21 points. This game is Saturday at 10 a.m., which is a very busy window. Arsenal is minus 470. Burnmouth is plus 1,200. The draw is plus 525. Arsenal minus a goal and a half is minus 145. Burnmouth is plus 115. Um, I don't have as much to say about this matchup. Arsenal looked incredible today against Everton. Um, side note, Everton looked pretty dismal uh, today. Uh, given that they're a Sean Dice team and a Sean Dice team is supposed to shut down the opponents and not allow goals. And they allowed four fairly simple ones uh, today. So Everton and relegation, like watch out. I don't, not sure if Dice is going to be able to fix that one. Um, but for this particular matchup, Arsenal's showing no dip in form. They now have played their game in hand. So they're now uh, five points up on the, on the league on city. They know they can't let up off the gas because they still have to go to city this season, but they have a really uh, light fixture list coming up. I mean, in terms of matchups and it's Bournemouth and uh, crystal palace and, and somebody else who's not going to you know be one of the top seven or eight teams this year. Um, and I think they're just going to keep rolling against Bournemouth, especially after you watch Bournemouth just completely capitulate against City. They are basically playing a 4-5-1 and playing 10 guys behind the ball, and they still gave up four goals to City, and City barely broke a sweat scoring them. Uh, so 
I'm going to take the adjusted line. I was tempted to take it even higher up to minus two and a half, but I'm just going to stick it to one and a half and minus 145. Yeah, I I was in the same place as you. Uh, I took the minus one and a half and minus 145 for my pick. Um, I Bournemouth just isn't, there's just no talent there. I mean, it, there's, I mean, maybe like Philip Billing could play for somebody else as like a poor man's Fellaini. Um, Are they the worst team? Are they the worst team right now? I I don't think it's really a question. I don't think it's a question either. Yeah, I I think they're they're pretty much this year's Norwich. Um, Yeah, it's just there's not much there. And Michael B. Jordan can't save him. He can just keep making Creed movies until (laughs) all eternity. Um, So, yeah, I I just think that they're really bad. Um, I've really enjoyed um, seeing Zinchenko come back into the Arsenal side and kind of play the Cancelo role. Um, He's had a really interesting career metamorphosis i guess starting kind of as a winger and then playing more as like a reserve fullback for city and then you know it's kind of with the euros where they moved him as like a free eight um for the ukrainian national team and then it's just like ever since then we just started looking at him as like a, a a gracefully aging midfielder now i mean he plays the nominal left back but it's the Cancelo role um where he kind of plays in a double pivot or at least today with Jorginho as his partner in the back there so well, he's the he's the one who fed Saka, right? Like on the opener, and that was way out yeah. on the right. I mean, yeah, he was yeah. way out on the right, just drilled a ball into Saka, which, by the way, is when I knew Sean Dice was not fixing Everton. Saka, it wasn't even a run. He just like literally parked himself between two defenders. Zinchenko hits a low ball to his feet, he turns and roofs uh, Pickford, and that just shouldn't happen to a well organized defense. There should at least be some movement that creates confusion, not a guy just standing between you. That's their most dangerous attacker, who's allowed you know free reign as soon as Zinchenko put the ball to his feet. Yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely problems with the Everton. I mean, Michael Keane was starting at center back today for Everton, which isn't great. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, I think Arsenal do a great job too of overloading sides when they play these um, teams that try to kind of stay compact as they'll bring, you know, five guys to basically play against an area, a zonal area marker with four guys in it, four defenders in it. So like, they're really good at creating opportunities for someone like Saka to pop up kind of unmarked with one pass. Right. Um, and that's the kind of match left to play. That's why I'm, I don't love the line at minus one forty five. But like, it's hard to bet against that. Um, yeah. And uh, but the the line I do like a little bit better is the clean sheet win. I mean, a Bournemouth attack is just non-existent, um, and Arsenal are just going to con- completely. Arteta has signed every passer in the world, <laughs> so they, yeah, it is just going to be really hard. I mean, I knew he was going to kind of have a thing for Jorginho when she came on, um, but they're just going to dominate possession of this game. It's going to be really, really hard for Bournemouth to create chances. So. Even at min- minus 28, I, I think you're getting pretty good value on a clean sheet win. Yeah, I like that one quite a bit. Uh, it was good to see Partey back to, today as well. Like, you know, you don't want to have Jorginho playing all the minutes. So being able to get rotation in that midfield is going to be valuable to them on their run in. Um, I like that one a, a lot. I like City really does have a standing history of switching off and allowing consolation goals. I don't think Arsenal quite strike me as the same team. I mean, for example, today they kept shutting Everton down, even though they were up 3 0, 4 0 for long stretches of time. Uh, so that clean sheet looks great. I'm going to take Arsenal to score in the first 30 minutes at minus 110. Newcastle, City, United, Chelsea, they all scored in the first half against Bournemouth in their recent matchups. 
uh, since the World Cup restart. And three of the four of them, I think it was everybody but Newcastle, was really early in the match, like 12 minutes, 19 minutes, et cetera, and so forth. So I just looked for where can I get the best value at the earliest rate? Like you had to pay minus 290 in the first half. But but if you take it down to the first 30 minutes, you can get almost an even odds on that. Other one I like is Saka anytime plus 140 because I just love the way he's playing right now. And he's taking penalties. At least I, I, don't know, I don't know. I don't know if he's taking it when Jorginho's played, but I'm assuming he will. Yeah, and I, I think it's his ball to lose, right? Like, yeah. Until he I misses, would, I would think so. That would be a pretty weird upending in the hierarchy there to bring in a dude that's supposed to be a squad midfielder to start taking penalties over <laughs> your best young player. But who yeah. knows? Weirder things happen. That is true. Cool. All right, let's take our first break, and then we'll be back with Man City and Newcastle. Building the perfect same-game parlay can be time-consuming, but with Quick Picks, the Caesar Sportsbook app does the work for you. Quick Picks are pre-built same-game parlays that turn today's biggest headlines, storylines, and games into bets. They're quick and easy to use, and you can't miss them. They're right on the home screen of your Caesar Sportsbook app. Give them a try, and if you haven't downloaded the app yet, register using code OmahaFull, and then place your first bet. If you win, congrats. If you don't, you'll get your stake up to $1,250 back as a bet credit. If you have a gambling problem in Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed to Horseshoe, Bossier, City, and Harris, New Orleans. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, which is 1-800-426-2537. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-H-O-P-E-N-Y or text H-O-P-E-N-Y 467-369. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Okay, we are back and we are here with our other big banger of the weekend. Manchester City, second at 55 points versus Newcastle, fifth at 41 points. This is the early game, Saturday at 7.30 a.m. Manchester City, minus 225, Newcastle plus 575. 
The draw is plus 350. Caesars has Manchester City minus a goal and a half at plus 120 and Newcastle minus 150. So, Brett, I came into this uh, in a pretty rare circumstance where I do not have my pick bolded yet because I wanted to hear what you had to say first. I went back and forth on this over and over again on the adjusted line. I definitely like City to win. But in terms of how much they're going to win by, I'd love to hear your analysis before I give my opinion. (laughs) So my analysis actually is going to tie into a bigger thing that I think you and I, especially with the way that we kind of do like to talk and kick around XG numbers and things like that, is um, Newcastle are playing above their level, I think, in, in ways that guys are just playing well, right? Like, that's a thing. Like, we, we can talk about expected goals and guys finishing over expected goals and how that runs and variance coming for everybody. But sometimes guys just play well, right? Like, limited players have a stretch where they look amazing. Um, and I think like a guy like Elmeron's like a perfect example. I think he's like a perfectly fine, pretty good premier league winger at this point, but he played out of his mind and he finished out of his mind for like a certain stretch of time. Um, I think this team is really tied to Gima Reich. I think he is absolutely 100% the thing that makes them go. And it's covered up a lot of flaws that we've kind of seen like Dan Byrne is still their left back. Uh, Kieran Trippier basically plays as like an attacking winger in order for them to create enough chances to stay in matches. And that obviously leaves them a little bit lopsided in terms of their defensive structure. Um, but like Sean Lockstep is playing a time. Joel Linton, when B Marish was out, was like moving all, he came on as a striker and was basically playing as like a six. That's the midfielder that sits right in front of the center backs in a couple of the matches with Gima Reich out. So I, I just think that this was a lot of Newcastle's players were just, some of them were just playing really well and enhanced the overall performance. But when you look at an individual by individual player perspective, like Jacob Murphy getting a lot of minutes on this team kind of tells you like, yeah, they're good, but they shouldn't be this good. (laughs) Um, So I'm, I kind of like the city line at minus one and a half plus uh, plus plus one twenty. That's where I veer towards because city is still good. Pep's doing some weird stuff. Um, I he had like De Bruyne playing against Brentford in the FA Cup with everything else that's going on at City. It's kind of like, what are you doing here, Pep? Um, we we talked before about the Cancelo, like getting rid of him and how that was kind of odd and and what how the thinner margins they're now working with in terms of creating shots. So City isn't like perfect anymore. Um, this isn't a machine basically that's going to roll on no matter who's in and out of the lineup. There's a big gap when Rico Lewis is playing instead of Joe Cancelo. Um, and Pep seems to kind of be pushing for things that maybe he shouldn't. Like, why is De Bruyne playing an FA Cup match when he should be resting for the stretch in with the Champions League and then obviously in the Premier League? So I still like New, uh, uh, City to beat Newcastle in this match. Um, I'm not like crazy confident about it, but I just definitely think there is a level between these two teams that is about a goal and a half in a match. Yeah, it was good to see them put four past Bournemouth, even if Bournemouth is the worst team in the league, because KDB wasn't on the pitch. We uh, yeah. Last show, we talked a lot about uh, how tied they are to his creativity and goal generation. And if he fell off uh, or got injured or just needed to rest, you know, how are they going to create? And at least against the worst team in the league, they were able to generate four goals. And a lot of those goals came off Phil Foden's movement. Uh, that his run completely unlocked that first goal. The second goal, um, he made another perfect far post run that led to a Holland tap in. He got the third one, which he deserved. Like, I thought he was really outstanding 
that match. And skipping ahead for one second, he is plus 170 as an anytime goal scorer. So if, if the lines are Holland minus 200 and Alvarez is minus 130, that's the one that, that kind of blows me away. Getting Foden at plus 170 seems like the clear bet. Um, if you want to take a, an anytime goal score. And if you think they're going to win by multiple goals, then, you know, there's fair bets to be made about who's going to get them. Uh, you brought up the the key name for me, and it's no surprise because it should be the key name for everybody, and it's Gimarish at Newcastle. And I was actually going to take Newcastle because I did look through their XG. They beat Liverpool in XG, even though they lost 2-0. They were, Newcastle themselves were over 2 in XG, and they just couldn't get one through. They've been hovering between 1 and 2, Basically, every match has been like strangely consistent in terms of their chance creation. Uh, but then I dug slightly deeper, just going to look at the injury report, and I don't think Imarish is going to play. Uh, so if he was going to be in there, he's so key to them. I, I would have taken Newcastle minus 150 to keep it within a goal. But with him out uh, and with with cities, you know, having De Bruyne uh, back out on the pitch and he plays in their big matches. I do think that they're capable of beating them by two or more. So it's a slight lean to the plus 120. It also helps us plus 120 instead of minus 150. But the one I really like is my prop. Uh, speaking of Newcastle's XG and speaking of cities uh, kind of well discussed at this point, switching off in the second half and letting constellation goals in. So both the score. Yes, is minus 115. Uh, the no or the yes is minus 115. So you're getting a coin flip for both teams to score. And I'm not worried about City generating goals. And I'm actually not worried about Newcastle generating goals. Like if I have to take a coin flip on one of those, will one team take a blank versus will both teams score? They're both creating enough chances right now, even without Gamerish, because that's not you know his primary function on the team. Um, and he's been out for a little while anyway, and they're still creating chances. The way it's going, I'd be I'm very happy to get that at only minus 115. I thought it was going to be minus 150. Yeah, I, I'm actually, it's, it's funny you touched on that with, you're not super worried about Newcastle creating goals because I need to start charting this. I'm sure I have terrible value on these plays, but there was an exact scoreline that caught my eye again, speaking of that. Um, and it was the two, one city win at plus 800. And the reason being is I think I like scoreline, exact scorelines that match up perfectly with a number that I think is heavily within the range of one of the team and the teams that are playing. Right. I think two is like the perfect median range for city in this match. And I think somewhere between one and 0.5 chance created goals for Newcastle is right there. So you might need to get a little bit lucky to get it across, but you also can look at the way that Newcastle isn't a, a, a good team that typically plays like a good team does. They actually concede possession quite a bit. They have a bunch of players. Colin Wilson can make runs into space. We know how Alan St. Maxima and Isaac are both really good dribbling at guys, getting it, especially when they have space to do it. Um, and then Almiron, that's his whole thing is clever movement into open areas. And so I think City, you know, we've talked about this. They're not as airtight as they used to be defensively anymore. Ederson, we have questions about his shot stopping, or maybe I just do. I don't want to throw you into all these conclusions if you don't want to be attached to them. Um, so I, I kind of like that, that two, one, if you're not super juiced about city being an automatic to cover the goal and a half, I think this number is the most likely range of goals for both these teams. And you're getting eight to one for it. Yeah. Uh, eight to one on two to one. I can absolutely get behind that. You know, thinking of both teams are going to score. 
it, there's a little bit of cognitive dissonance that we think City's going to uh, win by at least two and both teams to score. But that that boot City to win by two was the weaker leg of those two, right? Like so mm-hmm. we thought it's pretty close for City to win by one right. or two. Exactly. And if we think both teams are going to score two to one and eight to one ends up being pretty, pretty outstanding value. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Let us. Oh, do we have to? God, I just saw the next name on here. OK, <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. Uh, a little team, a little, a little hold themselves up by the bootstraps, struggling squad, just trying to stay above the relegation fight, but we'll see if they can scrap their way into the mid table at Chelsea, who are 10th at 31 points versus Leeds 17th at 22 points. This game is Saturday at 10 a.m. Chelsea is minus 160 Leeds is plus 430. The draw is plus 285. Chelsea minus half a goal is minus 155. Leeds is plus 122. All right, Brett. Uh, I am a Chelsea supporter, as everybody here knows. Ask me anything. Go ahead. Uh, how excited are you for you to get a goal of Conte back in a training, buddy? <laughs> oh, you're actually going to start with the bright side. So, yeah. Golo Conte, not only. Well, I figure the bright side is going to lead to the dark side. It's just like you know, an illusion here. You're going to start happy and then you're going to just go into the diatribe and fall in that dark pit. Yeah. Remember, this is the, this is the ghost of William podcast in the well of sadness. <laughs> so we get there eventually. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely in the well of sadness. Uh, so Angolo Conte is not only back in training, he's looking on pace to perhaps make uh, an appearance against Dortmund in the Champions League. And then we'll see what kind of bubble wrap they can keep him in for whatever important games they might have left. If they don't beat Dortmund, there's not going to be any important games left because trying to finish seventh in the Premier League doesn't exactly qualify. Also, it looks like they're going to sign him to an extension, which is pretty wild. Um, three years with a, a fourth option is the what's going around right now. And so a contract that'll age well. <laughs> yeah, a game a year sounds about right. Um, but you know, Tuchel, when he was still there, he said, Conte is our Salah. He's our, uh, De Bruyne. He's our Van Dyke. Like he is the most important cog in the engine that he was running at Chelsea. And so the idea of getting him back, I think is, um, a bit of an elixir to cover over so many of the other problems, but it's, it's only that like the other problems still exist when, when N'Golo Conte come back. Cause it isn't, it isn't necessarily what N'Golo Conte does that is our single biggest flaw right now. Of course, he's going to be additive. Of course, the way that he wins the ball back and increases the pressure on everybody else and sometimes makes it feel like they have 12 guys on the field. Um, if, if that is the way he still can play, will of course make us a better team. There's serious questions about whether he still has that in his locker. And there's serious questions about even if we win the ball back, what the freak do we do with it? Uh, because it's not put the ball in the back of the net. Here, quick pop quiz for you, Hotshot. Uh, since November 6th. That's so of a, course, there's the another Cup 90s play. reference, by the way. Love yeah, it. there you go. <laughs> um, all right, Wildcat. So since November 6th, how, and there was the World Cup break. How many goals have Chelsea scored in all competitions since November 6th? Oh, all competitions. All competitions. We're talking about four months. How many goals have they scored in all competitions? I have 15. I have no idea in all competitions. 15. Six. They have scored six oh goals God. in four months, Brett. They have scored six competitive <laughs> goals in four months. So how is N'Golo Conte going to fix that? Hey, here, second part of the quiz. How many goals has Manchester United scored in that same time period? 
A lot more than six? Just take a guess. 20. 23. 53 goals for Manchester United. Who's six for Chelsea? Six, Brett. (laughs) That means in four months, I've got to go six freaking times. And that is it. And we're going to talk about N'Golo Conte fixing this team. That's not the problem. Marcus Rashford has scored 18 times, FYI. Marcus Rashford himself has scored three times more goals than Chelsea has during that time period. Go ahead. Ask me something else. <laughs> well, I, I'm not going to ask you something, but I, I, I'm, I'm going to posit something and then I'll get your reaction to it here. Is this team currently reminds me of, I think it was like Rafa Benitez, right? Who always made the saying about the blanket where, You know, when you have certain flaws in your team, it's like if you pull the blanket up too high, then your feet are cold. If you pull the blanket too too low, your head is cold. And that kind of feels like the balance for Chelsea right now, right? It's like they're trying to jam a bunch of attackers on the pitch, and it's probably leaving them more exposed defensively than they need to be, especially without Conte. And then if they try to maybe just flood the field with midfielders and play someone like Zakaria with Enzo and Gallagher or whoever – they're no way are going to be able to generate enough chances. Right. And that kind of feels like the fundamental issue with where they're at. It's like, there's no balance. You, if they tip the scales, they're a little too open. So they can't be, they can't generate enough an attack to get, it's like a law of diminishing returns kind of thing. And then if they try to just scale it back and be the super suffocating defensive team, you're going to be even, <laughs> you're going to have even right. less than six goals in tier four. Right. Tell me, tell me when they've tipped the scales forward offensively, given they've scored six goals in four. Okay. Months. They obviously, they obviously have not actually put the goals in, but they've been getting a little unlucky in terms of that. Their underlying chance creation is not great, <laughs> but it definitely should have led to more than six goals, especially in the Premier League. And I think that's where the, the question is is like, what version of a starting 11? has the appropriate balance where there isn't a huge glaring flaw somewhere. And then if that's the case, what is the realistic goal for Chelsea probably moving forward, right? Because then you you need to find something to hang your hat on. And right now they have nothing. Yeah, the, the realistic goal for Chelsea moving forward is have an idea of who your best 11 is before August of 2023 and understand if you need to change managers, even as painful as that might be financially or emotionally. And it's not painful for the fans. I mean, there's so much cognitive dissonance that's going on right now uh, as a Chelsea fan, because we have been um, conditioned, not unlike an animal, we have been conditioned for the last 20 years that if you have a bad run of form, All you do is fire your manager and a good run of form will follow. Uh, We have done it over and over and over and over and over again. And it's often followed by a lot of pain, right? Like a bunch of really expensive signings don't fit into the new system. And so they look even dumber in retrospect. Or you like don't play the kids and all of a sudden Kevin De Bruyne and Mo Salah are winning titles for your rivals. And so there's been a lot of problems with that approach. But when the team is struggling, It's like the break glass. It's like all the fans can think of is to fire the manager. And in this particular case, I'm not sure they're wrong. Like firing Tuchel was insane. I I thought that wouldn't happen. Like firing um, Ancelotti, firing some other of our managers has been crazy. But like when I watch Chelsea and when you watch Chelsea, tell me what they're trying to accomplish. Tell me what the goal is, particularly offensively, to generate goals to win matches. If I watch them, 
as close as I could possibly watch any sports team. And I cannot tell you what they are trying to accomplish right now to put the ball into the net. And that is on the manager more than anything else. It's like, I want to give Potter time. I want to have a project. I want to have like a five-year run of sustained, um, you know, vision that everybody has. We buy the right players for the right system. We have some uh, continuity. We have some stability. I want that desperately. But what the hell are they trying to do? Yeah, I, I, honestly, this is this whole scenario has kind of made me reflect on where did we get to Graham Potter getting here in the first place, right? And part of it was the work that he did at Brighton. And looking back on it now in the context of what's happened, uh, Deserbi has definitely taken Brighton to what seems like another level. They're performing better post-Potter. And that's with consecutive years of losing players like Ben White, losing Basuma, having Tyreek Lamptey be awesome but never playing, uh, Pascal Gross being another year older, Trossard going to Arsenal, and yet Brighton are ascending. And when you looked at Potter's best season, it was when he had Dan Byrne, Lewis Dunk, uh, and Ben White as part of the, and Adam Webster kind of moving in and out of this back three. All right. Dan Byrne is now playing left back, even though I'm sure he's kind of maybe considered a weak point, but he is starting and playing the majority of minutes at left back for the third best team in the Premier League right now. Ben White is playing right back for the best team in the Premier League right now. Uh, Lewis Dunk obviously is still there. Adam Webster has been hurt. But like when you look back at that year where they finished like 16th, but they had like the fifth best expected goal differential, it was mainly because they had a really awesome back three that covered for a lot of things in front of them. They had a back three that basically won the ball back and advanced the ball into the opponent's uh, final third, which is supposed to be a midfields job. And so we gave Potter a lot of credit for what might have just been the collection of players that he had at his disposal. And I think his biggest knock at Brighton was he was not very good when you watch teams like Arsenal and you watch teams like City. There's clear patterns that like Pep and Mikel Arteta drill into these guys in the final third for how they want teams to play once the ball gets in there. Just bigger conceptual things of how they overload size, how they get to a third man run, things like that. That was always Potter's like biggest weakness at Brighton. And it's really, 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 really coming through here at Chelsea. And so I think kind of reflectively, he may have benefited from his circumstances at Brighton. And there is a definite possibility that he may be part of the problem here at Chelsea. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to, to, to be super rainy. Funny. No, look, I mean, the dark skies are well descended on, on uh, London right now. I mean, yeah. you got people clamoring for Mourinho to come back, for God's sakes. Uh, I think the one name that I saw floated most kind of with, with the most uh, smoke is probably Luis Enrique. Um, I think if Potter was fired tomorrow, I think Enrique would move right into his office. I don't know if that would be a massive upgrade or not. But what I do know is we can't have four, five, six changes every lineup and expect things to change. Like it's not just, I think they look lost, not just because of Potter's tactics, just because like they had such a ridiculous January. There's been no continuity in lineups afterwards. And the guy's link up play is horrible. Like, Mudrick, whenever he's in there, of course, he's a super talented dribbler and he's incredibly speedy, but like the overlaps with uh, Chilwell and Kukurea, like they're just not happening. And there's no, there's no chemistry between those guys. And same thing over on the right. Reese James is arguably the best right back in the world. And, you know, he's not getting any, the impact that we need out of him. 
because the positions are all messed up. Like the guys are occupying competitive spaces instead of creating some sort of harmony that's going to lead to goals. And so it just comes down to like, hey, our offense is Jao Felix do something awesome. Um, that that's what it is right now. And like, you know, Havertz is doing some really good workman like stuff that doesn't show up the back page of the newspaper, but the we need back page of the newspaper stuff right now. I know for me, no, we need back page of the newspaper stuff right now. We need a guy who's going to score every other match and not, you know, contribute in invisible ways. Uh, and so Nani Fafana, uh, those guys like loan them out, get them some, some runtime and this declutter your squad, roll out Sterling on the right, roll out Mudrick on the left, play Jow through the middle, I guess you have to play Havertz up top, but I, I mean, at this point, like screw it, throw Obama Yang up there just to see what happens um, and do it for like three or four consecutive matches rather than these wholesale changes where it's just snow globing every single time we take the pitch. Yeah. And that, and that's the biggest thing. And um, you know, I mean, I, I kind of do some stuff helping out some college basketball teams. And one of the, the biggest things when I worked even with high school coaches or whatever was don't make wholesale changes game to game, right? Like you have to give, time to see exactly what's what's not working before you make another change and you're right and and this was another critique i had of potter at brighton that's now coming into play is he would just do weird stuff like all of a sudden you just have a match at brighton where pascal gross was playing right wing back right (laughs) or trussard was like all of a sudden playing left wing back or Sully march was like playing forward after having played wing back for something and it was very odd like how he tried to mix and match and like over coach basically And I think, especially with Chelsea, when you're getting all these new players, the temptation is just throw everybody in. We'll just try to figure it out as we go. But it's kind of like you have to have a a plan. Like we're going to build around this one thing. And then I'm going to start moving those pieces around after two or three matches. But I need to see how this looks for two or three matches instead of like, we'll play a back three minute this match. or We'll play a four, two, three, one, this one. We'll play this guy in a back two. and, And then now this guy's healthy. So we'll just put him immediately back in the lineup. And you can't even tell exactly where the problems lie. So part of it's been injuries. Part of it's been a bunch of the new arrivals. But like Potter hasn't helped himself. I think there is a foundation for a pretty good Chelsea team. Enzo looks great. Reese James, we obviously are a huge fan of. Um, you more so than me. Um, but like there's there's pieces here that are in place that for them to do something interesting and good. But it, it just, it lacks cohesion at, at any level right now. Yeah, I mean, look. If we're taking the positives, and I'm happy to take the positive, Enzo's undoubtedly a positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shiel, undoubtedly a positive. Bafana has looked really good on his return. Koulibaly looks to finally be adjusting to the speed of the Premier League. And Silva is still one of the best defenders of the world at 1,000 years old. Uh, so, like, our our center back uh, depth should be the envy of the entire, you know, world right now. We have one of the best young midfielders in the world pulling strings, um, and we have just an abundance of choices. We just have to pare them down. And mm-hmm. then we have to – Lukaku ain't the answer. And there's not a lot of nines out there that, uh, as we talked about, either the last show or the show before. But if if we can't rely on a nine – we have to have some offensive philosophy on how to do without one. We need some of that pet magic. We need some of that Enrique magic. We need some of the things where guys can generate score uh, goals collectively and not only score six in four months. And I think Havertz is the leading goal scorer in all competitions right now. And I think he has, he has either five or six for the entire year. I mean, like, and Jorginho was the leading scorer previously, and that was all from the penalty kicks. Like, we just can't have that no matter how many bright spots exist everywhere else on the pitch. 
and to be clear, they do exist. Like this isn't a team breath of talent. Like overall, I think Manchester United, Arsenal, like, you've got to provide some hope that, you know, a team of talented individuals, particularly a young team uh, can pull it together. And like, even somebody like Casemiro, uh, you know, proved that once he really got into form, like it unlocked so much of the rest of the team. And maybe that can happen at Chelsea, but it ain't going to happen until August, really. Like they're not going to play meaningful matches unless they come back against Dortmund for the rest of this year. So they have 15 matches to kind of figure it out. Um, and this is first one against Leeds. I guess we have to get back to giving a pick. I don't know, man. I mean, Obviously, Leeds at plus 122 is the better number. Chelsea can't possibly score, so getting Leeds on the, the double chance makes a lot of sense. If, if Chelsea's unable to score, you can't lose that bet. But I said it two weeks ago, and I still believe it. Like Their chance creation means on a portfolio level, you have to keep betting Chelsea and Chelsea overs for five to 10 consecutive weeks and you know wait for that uh, regression to come in and take place. So I'm not backing off quite yet, as disgusted as I am, and I'm still going to take Chelsea to win this game at minus 155. Yeah, I, uh, I went to a different, I went to a different mode. Um, I, I mean, Garcia is now the manager at Leeds and I mean, Leeds are pulling an Everton with like just, firing managers and bringing guys in that don't suit the current personnel. So they built this whole team to play under somebody like Jesse Marsh and Garcia is, and I, I'm so impressed that I did not do Garcia. Um, very impressed with this right now. Uh, I'm just going to give myself a pat on the back real quick and then keep going. Um, but he plays a, a much more conservative style. I mean, we saw it a little bit in this like kind of cameo at Watford. Um, so I definitely have questions over how Leeds is going to, res- re- this roster is going to respond to this type of new manager shift. But I have more questions about Chelsea. And so when I do that, I just lean towards Leeds and I lean yeah. into Leeds covering the half a goal spread. And I think the other thing too, is that Leeds has had trouble scoring goals. You gave out the very, very depressing stat of how many goals Chelsea has scored in November. The under is minus 120. It's not great value, but do you really see three goals in this match between these two teams where they're at? Oh no! Look, yeah. dude, I'm I'm with you. I, I took a very similar bet. Both score no is minus one fifteen. Yeah. So Leeds five out of the last six games, one team has gone scoreless, and Chelsea has scored six goals in four months. So I looked. We, I looked at that one, but I I was always worried that the one one was in the range of outcomes for me, and so I was a little worried about that one. Yeah. If uh, if you want to bet anything on Chelsea, and if you do, seek help. Uh, if you do want to bet <laughs> anything on their props. Uh, Jao Felix is still their most lively and active player and who they are looking to left, right, and center to generate offense for them. So his anytime assist is plus 320. His anytime goal is plus 200. At, uh, 200 I'd bet them both. Uh, so before we take our break, I'd just like to apologize to all Chelsea fans out there. This is my fault. Um, if you've been listening to this show for the last two years, my two, the team. my two number one targets <laughs> that I've made fun of were the OGS Manchester United teams, which we now resemble, and Delhi Alley, which Mason Mount is turning into. So <laughs> karma comes for us all, and particularly me in this situation. Let's take a break before I start to cry.
All right. We are back from that uplifting moment there at the end. Brett is still laughing at my pain, <laughs> the good friend that he is. Uh, oh. But we have one more Premier League game to cover, so let's dive into it. Wolves, 13th at 25 points. Tottenham, 4th at 45 points. Game is also Saturday at 10 a.m. Very busy window. Uh, our friends at Caesars have Spurs at plus 124, Wolves at plus 220, the draw at plus 230, Spurs minus half a goal is plus 120, Wolves are minus 150. Uh, this game sucks, and if I wasn't being paid for it, I would not watch <laughs> it. That is my take on this game. Uh, I think the two teams I want to fade the most in the entire league outside of like the relegation contenders like Bournemouth are Wolves and Spurs. So having them play together is a movable object. It gets a, whatever the hell the the other part of that phrase is. Um, So (laughs) I don't know. I mean, watching, yeah, watching Spurs just like bomb out of the FA cup today. I know Kane didn't come on until the second half, but they still started with Charleston. They still started Sun. Their goals against Chelsea, like Kepa still has out-of-the-box blindness, so not being able to stop the one, I think more comes down to Kepa than how amazing it was for them. Then they scored on a set piece. So I am not off the Fade Spurs bandwagon yet just because they they beat a descending Chelsea team on two goals that, you know, uh, weren't exactly worldies. And on the Wolves side, like they look like crap against Liverpool today. They look crap every single time I watch them. So my expert analysis for this one is, you know, do not turn on this channel when there's so many other great games going on at 10 a.m. on Saturday. But being forced into a pick, uh, cover the two teams names up and whichever one has the plus take them. So in this case, that is Spurs at plus 120 instead of Wolves at minus 150 on their double chance. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you completely. Um, Spurs have had a, a decent run of results kind of on paper, um, but it's been a lot of of luck in that regard. I mean, they, they beat City in a match where they created about the same amount of chances. Uh, very, very much should have probably been a draw. Uh, eked out one against Fulham, the same kind of thing happened there. And then, you know, we're, we're not that far removed. I mean, it was middle of February where Leicester beat them 4-1 and it was a deserved 4-1 beatdown. Um, and, I, you know, and then the ugly match against Milan in the Champions League followed that. And then it was just these two wins against West Ham and Chelsea. But even the West Ham match, their first goal was like a weird combi- combination where like Ben Davis and Emerson like were somehow combined in the middle of the pitch in the box on a counter for a goal, um, which seemed really fluky and not something that you want to rely on sustainably. Um, so I'm definitely thinking that we're still right on the fade Spurs bandwagon. Uh, I took the its way out. No surprise with the draw. And that's partly because I think Wolves are, they're starting 11 today against Liverpool was very much like we're the 15th best team in the premier league vibes. Um, a lot of, uh, Oh, that guy type of thing with like Mario Lamina playing in the midfield and Pablo Sarabia playing on the, on the wing, uh, Raul Jimenez is back and, and actually playing pretty decently, um, at the striker spot. Um, but I mean, they still, you know, their back line was Max Kilman and Craig Dawson, which is like, not what you really want. <laughs> um, so I, I do think that like Lopetegui's actually done a pretty good job with wolves. They're a weird group of castoffs. He's, they kind of got enough to be pretty good defensively and they do a, just enough for an attack. That they might nick a goal past you. So <laughs> I think the draw is probably fair, especially because nil nil is a very good possibility in this match. Um, and my favorite bet though, which will be showing up in the five pint is more in that vein. And that's both teams to score. No plus 100 
I think getting even money for that is a gift from the soccer gods that I will happily accept because I just do not see a result in this match where it's 1-1 or 2-1 or 3-1 or whatever. That just seems like some really wild, off-the-rails, yeah. crazy stuff has happened. Yeah, we're we're brain-melding on this one. Um, the game earlier, I, you took, I took both teams to score no, and you took the under. This one, you took both teams to score no, and I'm taking the under. Minus 125, and the other one that I wrote down, um, given that Spurs couldn't score against Sheffield United today, and we're at like 0.7... XG or 0.8 XG against Chelsea. Like they're just not generating that many great chances. Uh, that nil nil draw, the exact score line plus 850, baby. You're telling Ooh. me one out of nine times you would expect the Wolves and Spurs to go scoreless in the same game. Come on now. That I, looks like a great yeah. EV bet. Yeah, I agree, man. That's a really good one. I didn't even look at the exact score line and nil nil, but that's a good one. Yep. All right. I'm done talking about that match. We're going to have some fun here since we uh, we didn't have a big open. And we are going to leave Premier League for one time and Going one time only. To the Iberian we, Peninsula. We are heading down to the peninsula for the first of three El Clasicos happening in the next month. This one is in the Copa del Rey semifinals. When I say El Clasico, I, of course, mean Real Madrid versus Barcelona, the number one rivalry in all of world soccer. 3 p.m. tomorrow on Thursday. We're taping this Wednesday afternoon. Madrid is minus 107. Barcelona is plus 285. The draw is plus 250. Caesars has Madrid at minus half a goal at minus 110 and Barcelona at minus 120. All right, Brett. The two shining stars in all of world soccer, arguably the two biggest brands, uh, hated rivals, going to play three times in the next month. It's always special. I think this one is on the ESPN family of networks, so a lot of people have their eyes on it. What are you looking for in this match? Uh, I'm really thinking that this is we're going to see a little bit of a slide here from Barcelona. I mean, it's it's been a weird year for them in the sense that like they're basically dominating in La Liga. Um, but I also think La Liga is probably the weakest it's been in a long time. Um, usually, at least in La Liga, you had Atletico Madrid, um, Sevilla, teams like that that would you know be pretty pretty tough to beat. And they hang around the top four. They challenge those teams. Um, but And even like Valencia was solid for a while. But Valencia has fallen into problems with their ownership situation. Sevilla was battling relegation for a while. Um, and Atletico Madrid, Simeone might leave, and they have clearly been on the downside of what has been a really amazing run um, for his managerial career. Well, amazing, depending on how much you've actually enjoyed watching Atletico matches. Um, so I just think it's a down year, which is kind of fed into Barcelona um, having like a seven point gap at the top. Now, this match tomorrow is the Copa del Rey, which is like the Spanish domestic cup for those of you who are not super familiar with La Liga. Um, but it's always it's always cool to see these two Titans play like this is probably the biggest match in all of soccer. Anytime that these two play, these teams play, it's always rowdy. It's always interesting. It's always got big ripple effects throughout the sport. Um, but like Barcelona's in a weird spot. Um, a, a bunch of their attackers are having injuries. Uh, Lewandowski's out. Ansu Fate, who is supposed to kind of be their new La Masia conquering hero, uh, hero, the young kid, injured his knee. Um, they're relying a lot on Leeds' favorite legend, Rafinha, uh, which is yeah. kind of a weird thing to think that Barcelona is relying on that guy. Um, and then players like Fernand Torres, uh, Marcus Alonso has been making some sightings here for you, buddy, on Barcelona. 
So they're in a really weird spot. And I think this, this is going to be interesting on the run in just to see if Madrid can catch them. And just to see if there's even a little bit of a, and I typically don't get into this psychological edge um, to kind of winning this Copa thing and then saying, Hey, like we're coming for the La Liga title next because Madrid is good. I mean, like, this somehow Luka Modric and Tony Cruz just keep chugging along doing their thing. It's unbelievable. Modric might be playing for a champions league team until he's 45. It'll be the Tom Brady of mid, uh, Croatian midfielders. Um, but I mean, you know, Madrid is fun to watch. Like Vinicius jr. Is electric with the ball at his feet. Benzema is still incredible. Um, your boy, Antonio Rudiger is always around to mess things up. So I'm I'm looking forward to this match just simply because I want to see if Madrid can make a statement here because you know both teams, there is no games off. There is no, oh, it's only a cup match. Both teams are going for this match. If they make a statement here, I think it's going to, to show that Barcelona is going to be vulnerable for the league. And if they lose the league title, they will have gotten knocked out of the Champions League by finished third in their group. They'll have lost the league title in a very weak year. And they will have gotten knocked out out in the first round of the Europa League. There is going to be some serious heat coming on Barcelona, who already have a bunch of financial problems and basically yeah. mortgage their future to try to buy a bunch of mediocre players this year. Pull some more levers, baby. Pull those uh, financial levers. Just sell all your future potential revenue off. Uh, so I'm also on Madrid here. Um, you mentioned psychological edges. Madrid is playing at home, and I usually, you know, kind of. In a bail. I, I I do turn uh I do turn down the importance of home crowd often in the Premier League, but at the Bernabeu versus Barcelona, I don't think that should be discounted. Um, I watch you know these teams a lot of times in European competition rather than La Liga competition. So seeing them play against similar quality opponents instead of just you know beating the crap out of some farmer in La Liga, and just watching you know Barca get beat by Man United and then watching Real just destroy Liverpool. Of course, it's going to influence my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you look at the lineups and Lewandowski's unexpected to play and Pedri's unexpected to play. Meanwhile, it looks like Benzema and Vinicius Junior are both going to lead the line for Real Madrid. You see. The rest of the you see Magic, you see Cruz, you see my boy Tony. Um, and you know, as much as I hate him, you see the arguably the world's best goalkeeper uh, between the pipes and Courtois. And you put all that together, and it looks far more likely than not that they're going to come away with a win. And you're only playing, you know, minus one hundred seven here. So I think the expected wins here would be closer to like 60, 65, maybe even seventy percent of the time. And you're getting almost even money on it. Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing too, and, and we'll leave it at this little kind of fun, dorky, nerdy point for those of you who are maybe nerdy and out about this is against United, uh, Sergio Roberto started at left wing. And most of you might remember Sergio Roberto as the central midfielder that filled in at right back in the, <laughs> the last time that Barcelona was good. Um, so that kind of gives you a sign of where Barcelona is at this point and how much, uh, Javi uh, is reaching for what he needs to do to fix this team. And the interesting thing on the other side, speaking of fullbacks, is Eduardo Camavinga, um, who, again, for those of you who probably don't know, he went to a Madrid from, I think, Rennes? Yeah, I think so, um, in uh, Ligue 1. And he wasn't really playing. He's a, he's a central midfielder by trade, but because of injuries to left backs, uh, particularly David Alba, they started playing him at left back. And once they started playing Camavinga at left back, uh, he, they have been absolutely suffocating teams. And so if you're looking for more bets, lack of Barcelona goals would be a good one. If you see Camavinga in that spot. 
Great pick. Great pick. Uh, speaking of great picks, let's get to the five pie and get the folks out of here. So we have results for February because uh, I think you've noticed we've rolled into a new month. And your boy over here is the champ for the month. Finished at 10.7. You finished at 8.8. And I won January as well. So after you ran off three straight months, I'm on my own streak. But it's wiping the streak clean, coming into a new ball game For the year, very interestingly, both of us are plus. Um, I, oh, am no. at, I am at plus 11.2 units. And you are way behind me at plus 11.1 <laughs> units. Ooh. So we are almost on a huge, dead heat so far. Huge gap. Huge gap. Uh, so to grow the portfolio, I am going with the following five bets. I'm going with Rashford, anytime goal scorer, plus 130. I'm going with City and Newcastle, both to score yes and minus 115. I'm going with Chelsea Leeds, both to score no and minus 115. I'm going with Arsenal score in the first 30 minutes and minus 110. And then I'm going down that uh, down that Spanish way and give me Real Madrid, minus 107 to win tomorrow. I like him. Um... Well, I am uh, I'm going to be the biggest buzzkill ever with my five pint because most of the things I'm going to treat for is teams not to score. <laughs> uh, so both the score, no plus 100 for Spurs Wolves. Uh, it was just too good. I had to do two pints on that one. Uh, under two and a half goals in Chelsea leads and minus 120. I did a pint on clean sheet uh, win for Arsenal, which is minus 128 was also a pint. But then I had to do it. I went big. City, Newcastle, exact scoreline, 2-1, plus 800, the one pint. At some point, I'm gonna hit a I'm gonna hit a big bet. I almost had Tarkovsky. You did almost have Tarkovsky. Oh, I had to beat that. But the post stopped me from getting that one. And it would have just been, I would have just quit the pot. It would have been done. I would have retired on a high. Well, hell, I was rooting for it too then. (laughs) Oh, now I know how you really feel. Meatballs, (laughs) you better get you better get that West Ham knowledge cranking. Oh, all in good fun. It was so good to be back with you, Brett. So good to yep. be back with you, all of our uh, friends at home. Yeah, I can and take we- on that the binary uh, model of you I have up now. It's nice. Oh, my God. Burn it. Burn it with sage. <laughs> uh, so we will be back next week and the week after. So we've got some great Premier League action coming, and we can't wait to talk about it with you. We will see you next week for our usual interchange of horrible advice backed by expert analysis. Take care, y'all. <laughs>